Well, good evening, my friends and family. It's so good to see some of you face to face. Man, how much I've missed you. Now, you might be watching and, and you, you might not know me, or maybe you don't recognize me because I've lost about 10 kilos worth of hair on my head. Well, my name is Vineeth Roy, and I'm one of the leaders here uh, of, of the worship team of the young adults, and um, I'm just so excited to be, to be joining you in worship tonight. Now, you've actually joined us for a really special night because we're starting off our series in the book of Habakkuk. Wait, Habakkuk, yeah. Habakkuk? 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 Oh man, let me tell you, one of the hardest, one of the most difficult parts of this book is its pronunciation. But Habakkuk. Now, maybe you were like me and you're not very familiar with the book of Habakkuk. Well, after studying it for the past few weeks, I, I know that this is going to be both a challenging series as we tackle various tough questions and topics in, in His Word, in God's Word, but also an immensely encouraging series for us as well. Now, you might be listening to this, this sermon in the series as a Christian, or maybe some of you may be watching this and you don't consider yourself as a Christian. Maybe you have never heard anything about Christianity, or maybe you've grown up in the church and you know what, you decided this is actually not for you. But regardless of what your story is, we are, again, we just want to welcome you here and we're so grateful you could join us. And you know, we as Christians, when we think of our God, there's a few characteristics that come to mind. So what are they? Well, we th- when we think of God, we think that He is good, yeah? That He is loving. That he is holy and righteous. That he is perfect. That he is just and that he is trustworthy. Now I'm looking around the room and I'm, I'm seeing some nods on your heads. But what about when you're suffering? What then? Are those, are those statements still true? Is God still good and loving? Think about it. On one hand, You have a good and loving God. But on the other hand, we have suffering, we have injustice, we have violence, we have oppression, we have sickness and death and poverty and broken relationships. How do these two truths coexist? Now take a look at the world around you at the moment. I wonder how many of you, like me, hate watching the news, right? Because every time I watch the news, I feel really down with all the stories, all the tragic and horrible stories of of murder, of sex scandals, of racism and oppression, and the, the list just keeps going on and on in the world around us. And I'm sure many of you are aware of the injustice and the violence that's going on in America surrounding George Floyd's death. Or maybe in light of Reconciliation Week this week, maybe you're aware of the 400-plus deaths of Indigenous people in custody here in Australia. Maybe you were scrolling through your news feed and you saw black screen after black screen after black screen and realised just how broken this world is. And it's not just the state of this world. What about you? 
I know many of you, and I know your stories, and I know that many of you are actually going through terribly hard seasons of life. And the last thing I want to do is make that seem small. Maybe you're going through, maybe you have a chronic condition, and you're struggling to worship God through it. Maybe recently you lost someone that you love. Or someone that you love was recently diagnosed with a a serious condition and you don't know what to do about it. Maybe you lost your job during COVID and you're now struggling to make ends meet financially. Or maybe you're in such a toxic relationship and you have absolutely no idea how to achieve reconciliation. See, how can these two truths coexist? How can you have a good and loving God on one hand, and on the other hand, have so much suffering and injustice in the world? How can our God be loving when he allows us to suffer? How can he be good and just when there's so much evil and injustice in the world? And where is God in the midst of our suffering? Have you asked these questions before? Well, Habakkuk was a man who struggled and wrestled with these same questions. He looked at the evil and the injustice and the unrighteousness all around him in the world. And he felt so disgusted because it didn't reflect the goodness of our God. See, this is what we call holy discontent. Holy discontentment. It means to be discontent about the unholiness of the world around you. And not only this, Habakkuk was crying out to the one being who could actually change this world, God. But God felt absent. You see, this is what the book of Habakkuk is all about. A man who is desperately crying out to God because of the brokenness and the sinfulness of the world around him. And for a moment, he can't even feel God's presence. Well, tonight we're going to be going through the first four verses of the book of Habakkuk, and we're going to tackle three tough questions tonight. Number one, why do we see suffering and injustice in our world? Number two, does God even care about our suffering and injustice? And number three, how can we respond to suffering and injustice? I know tonight is going to be very challenging for some of you, but I hope it can also be an encouragement. As we learn that our God hasn't abandoned us. He cares for us, and he invites us to come honestly before him with our burdens and our struggles. And before we get into that, let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for bringing us here tonight, either physically or electronically, Lord, I just want to thank you and praise you for who you are and for your word. 
which you have given to us. I pray that as we study it tonight, you will reveal more of yourself and transform our hearts to be more like you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now before I continue, I want to encourage you guys, if you, don't, if you haven't already, get out your Bibles. Get out your notebooks, and if you don't have those with you, just get out your phone. Just don't go on Facebook, all right? But seriously, take, take notes. Join us as we get deep into God's Word tonight. Now before we actually get into the text itself, we need to actually look at the context. Now you might have heard this before, but what do you get? When you take a text out of context, you get a con, right? I see some, some, some cringe faces in the room, and you know what, I'm happy and proud with that. But it is true, you get the point. Now, many of us have a bad habit of neglecting the Old Testament. So for those who may not be familiar, the Old Testament, which is basically everything before Jesus, is all about the nation of Israel, right? God's people. Now, this all really started when God promised one of our forefathers, Abraham, two things. God promised Abraham, promised land, and promised people. And the early Old Testament's all about how God slowly but surely delivered on his promise as the people of Israel made their way into the, the, the promised land of Canaan. Now, there were many leaders of the Israelites. You had, of course, the likes of Moses and Joshua. And you had a series of, of leaders called the Judges. But at some point, the Israelites cried out to God saying, we need kings like the other nations. Give us kings to rule over us. So thus began the reign of King Saul, then King David, then King Solomon. But then after King Solomon's death, things got a bit messy. See, the nation split in two. And 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel formed the northern kingdom of Israel, called Israel. While the other two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, formed the southern nation of Israel, called Judah. Now, the, the northern kingdom of Israel... They had a series of kings. But all of these kings, one after the other, were all evil. They were all corrupt and evil in their ways, turning away from God. And eventually, the northern kingdom of Israel was invaded by the nation of Assyria and taken over. Sucks for them. Meanwhile, the southern kingdom, they had a mixture of kings. They had good kings and bad and just before the book of Habakkuk was written, the good king, King Josiah, had been killed. And the one who took the throne was King Jehoiakim, who started leading the people back to evil, back to their evil, wicked, and adulterous ways. This was the world that Habakkuk lived in. And to make things worse, there was the increasing threat of Babylon just around the corner. And so we come to chapter 1 of the book of Habakkuk. I hope you've brought out your Bibles now. Read with me from verse 1. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. 
How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Wow. Now these are the words of a man who is in some pretty deep pain. I mean, pay attention to the words he uses Violence, injustice, destruction, strife, conflict. This is the world that Habakkuk was living in. And it's pretty evident from this passage that he's been crying out to God for a while now. And he can't seem to understand why God is allowing this suffering. He's pouring his heart out to God and asking him to intervene. He knows that God is good, and so the state of this world makes no sense to him. Have you felt like that before? It brings about the question, why do we see suffering and injustice in this world? Think about that for a moment. Why do we see suffering and injustice in this world? Well, this is a big, big question, right? One that is worthy of its own 30-minute sermon. But let me do my best to summarize why we have suffering and injustice in this world. The reality, my friends and family, is that we live in a broken world. And this world is broken not because of the creator, but because of the creation that abused the privileges that he gave us. We live in a broken world because of our sin, It starts all the way in Genesis 1 when it says that our good God, our good creator, created the world and it was good. However, when while God created, man rejected and went against God's commands, bringing sin and death and darkness into our world. And we, we all, thousands of years later, are still seeing the effects of that mistake. Because of the fall, we are born into brokenness. You see, throughout Scripture, there's a constant cycle, which is that while God loves the world, mankind rejects him. For example, let's look back at the context of Habakkuk. The evil kings of both the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel were overcome with wickedness, turning from God and his law and pursuing their own corrupt ways. And this is what brought injustice into the land. Have a look again at verses 3 and 4. It says, Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. 
You see, in Habakkuk's context, the nation's problems were caused by leaders who wouldn't obey God. The rich exploited the poor. Nations raged war against each other. And the law was either rejected or twisted. The injustice even seeped into the legal system, where the high officials cared more about money than justice. And so, so for us as well, it's so, it's so easy to get caught up in the brokenness and suffering of this world that we actually start to question God's character. But the, the reality is God hasn't failed us. We have failed God. The brokenness of this world is due to us and our wrongdoings, not his. Now, I do want to make a side point now, and I want to address those who are truly suffering at this time. I want you to know that your suffering is not a personal punishment from God. What I mean by that is, if, you, if you're suffering more than me right now, that's not because you're a worse Christian than I am or a worse sinner than I am. See, suffering and the brokenness of this world is actually a general consequence of being a part of humanity. We as a whole species have rejected God and this is why we suffer. So you're not suffering tonight because of, only because of your sin, but because of my sin, because of everyone's sin. We have all failed. So we've talked a bit about why we have suffering and injustice in this world. Now let's jump back into Habakkuk 1. Let's read from verse 2. Habakkuk cries out saying, How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Now it seems like even Habakkuk can't feel God's presence in the midst of his suffering. Notice how Habakkuk asks God, how long and why? Why are you allowing this? Why aren't you doing anything about it? Why aren't you even listening to me? So that brings about the second question for tonight. Does God even care about our suffering and injustice? Does God even care that I'm in pain? I don't know if you've asked that question before. And I don't know if you relate to this, but sometimes we feel like we shouldn't even approach God with our problems. Because God, hasn't God called us to praise Him and rejoice always? See, sometimes we can misinterpret these verses of rejoicing and giving thanks always. And we might, we might tell ourselves that we should, be, we should never be unhappy, at least not before God. We can put pressure on ourselves to be perfect because we, we might think that God still demands that of us. And so we feel bad every time we come to God with our problems. Let me ask you again, do you relate to that? Do you struggle to come to God with your problems? Are your prayers superficial? Well, I have a friend who was in a very similar situation. 
Now, many of you know I'm, I love ES, which is a, um, a ministry at uni. And I, I lead a Bible study since, um, since last year. And, and there was a young Christian, Christian girl, who, who was a part of my Bible study last year. But in semester two, unfortunately, because of timetabling, she couldn't make my Bible study. But I saw her as I was walking through the medical school one day, and I saw her studying by herself, and so I thought I'd sit down with her and just chat about life. And then I, I started to ask her about, you know, how's your Bible reading going, or what have you been learning in God's Word, or how is your spiritual, sorry, how is your prayer walk going? And it turns out that it wasn't. It wasn't going. She told me that she stopped praying to God because she was going through a hard time and she felt like she wasn't in the best place to approach God. It, it sounded like she believed she needed to fix everything about herself and her situation before she could approach God and come to Him. Now, I reminded her that she is still able to approach God, but she told me that she felt bad that she kept bringing God problems instead of praise. Again, let me ask you, can you relate to that? Do you struggle to bring your problems before God? Maybe you also feel like God doesn't even care about our suffering in the first place. He only cares about our praise. So does God care? Let me ask you again, does God care? Come on, give me some enthusiasm. Of course he cares. He's God. He's good. He's loving. So firstly, we need to remember that God wants us to come to him because he cares so deeply about us. Let me guide you to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, which is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. How awesome is that? Right? That we don't have a God who's distant, who's just sitting on his couch eating popcorn indifferently as he watches us suffer in this world. But he loves us, he cares for us, and he invites us to come to him and give him our burdens. What a blessing. Secondly, God hears our every prayer and he knows exactly how we feel. We know from God's word that for those who earnestly call on the name of our Lord in prayer, he listens and he answers. Take a look at what God said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29. God says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Now, God listens to our prayers. In fact, he already knows our prayers. Before we even prayed our prayers, he knows us. That's how well he knows us. Take a look at Psalm 139. It says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Now get this. Before a word is on my tongue, 
you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. How amazing is it to know that we have a God who actually knows us and knows us intimately. And he hears our every cry. So firstly, God wants us to come to him because he cares deeply for us. Second, God hears our every prayer and he knows exactly how we feel. And third, we often forget that God is always with us and we can come to him whenever we need. In fact, this is one of the reasons why Jesus came into the world, to allow us to have a relationship with him. See, people in the Old Testament, people like Habakkuk, in, in his time, the only, one, only ones who could talk to God were priests and prophets. That's it. But take a look at what happens in Matthew 27 when Jesus was being crucified. It says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The significance of this is that now anyone can come before God. And it says in his word that whoever calls on his name receives his Holy Spirit. And so we now have access to God 24 hours, seven days a week. And we can come to him whenever we need. And it, he says in Deuteronomy 31.6 that he will never leave us or forsake us. So family and friends, we've established why we have suffering and injustice in this world and that God actually does care about our suffering. But that brings us to our final question for the night. How should we respond to our suffering and injustice? You might, be, you might have been wondering that this week with all the things that have been going on in this world. How do you respond to the suffering and injustice of this world? Well, let's jump back to Habakkuk chapter 1. And let me, tell me, who does Habakkuk turn to in his distress? Have a look at verse 2. He says, how long who? See, like while he is in distress, is he turning to himself? Is he isolating by himself? Does he take it out on others? No. In his distress, Habakkuk turns to the Lord. He says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? You see, and this is an important statement right now, how we respond in the midst of trials reveals how we see God. Let me say that again. How we respond to trials reveals how we see God. Now in verse 2, Habakkuk asks two questions. How long, Lord? And why don't you save? And on the surface, it might actually look like Habakkuk is just complaining, which I'm sure as young adults <laughs> we know plenty about. But as you look deeper, you will see that Habakkuk isn't complaining. He is lamenting which brings up our first application point for tonight. 
lament to God. But what's the, what's the difference between lament and complaining? Well, let's first start with complaining. Now, complaining is essentially getting things off your chest, right? It's venting all your anger, your frustration, disappointment, because things haven't gone your way. It's, in a way, complaining is all about us. And what does it reveal about the way we see God? It says that we think God is someone who should do exactly what we want. And we complain because he isn't doing a good enough job of pleasing us. Now, does that sound like the God that you know? Now, if that's complaining, what does it mean to lament? Well, the focus of complaining is on us. The focus of lament is on God. Let me say that again. The focus of complaining is about us, but the focus of lament is about God. You see, lamenting is far more than just venting your emotions. Lament means to utterly be honest with God, casting all your anxieties on Him and trusting Him with them, knowing that He is good and sovereign. Now let's look back at Habakkuk 1 and notice that Habakkuk is crying out to God, almost begging him for his help and intervention. It's so real and honest. Habakkuk genuinely comes to God, the God whom he trusts with his pain. And instead of complaining, Habakkuk honestly seeks God's help. Now, how interesting is this? For a while now, it seems like Habakkuk doesn't even feel God's presence. Yet, he still keeps coming back to God. What an incredible act of faith. He shows that even in his confusion and devastation about the world around him, he still trusts God. And not only that, what an act of worship. You see, lament is more than just expressing your, your sorrow or pain. Instead, lament takes your sorrow and pain and it transforms it into worship. See, it, it worships God instead of using God. By coming to God, you're acknowledging that He is still God despite the struggle, and that he is your strength and your rock in the hard times. Furthermore, while the Bible rebukes grumbling and complaining, lamenting is actually a biblical principle that's seen throughout Scripture. Now, key passages of lament include Job chapter 3, Jonah chapter 2, the entire book of Lamentations, and over a third of all the Psalms. Take a look at what it says in Psalm 13, verse 1, which says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Does that sound like someone to you? Or what about Psalm 130, verse 1, which says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. 
Lord, hear my voice. You see, lamentation is a biblical principle that you can see throughout Scripture. But you know what? Just in case you're still not convinced about lamenting, let's look at our ultimate example, our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, even Jesus lamented in his suffering during his time on earth. For example, take a look at what he says to his disciples at Gethsemane. He says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He later falls to his knees and cries to his father, saying, My father, if at all possible, take this cup from me. On the cross, as Jesus was dying, he also lamented to the Father. He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, even Jesus lamented in his sufferings, and so, so should we. Just like Habakkuk, who was overwhelmed by the injustice of this world, we should come to God with our problems, giving our pain to him, the Bible teaches us, teaches us that it is okay to lament. It's okay to cry out your pain to God. So the first way we should respond to suffering and injustice is to recognize that it is okay to lament and be honest with God about how you're feeling and what you're going through. Now, do you remember my friend from ES that I talked about earlier who struggled to pray to God and convey her struggles? I want to focus back on her for a sec. Maybe you can relate to her. See, how often are our prayers superficial? Where we'll choose to ignore the pain and the suffering that we're going through and instead put on a brave, fake face, fake smile as we approach God. This attitude of good vibes only which is completely naive, is also completely untrue. Let's go back to our key concept from earlier. How we respond in the midst of our trials reflects how we see God. So what does that say about our view of God? That he doesn't care? Because I swear we just talked about how much he cares about us before. In fact, God cares deeply about you. And I want to encourage you, go deep with God. Go beyond the superficial. You don't need to put on a brave smile on your face as you approach him. He knows, he cares, he listens, he acts. So go deep in your prayers with God. Finally, the third way which we can respond to our suffering and injustice is to look to Jesus. Though it doesn't take away our current circumstances and our current suffering, we can remember that what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf, that the suffering and injustice of this world doesn't have to win, that Jesus died on the cross and rose again to give us victory over sin, so that in him, there will be an end to all of our suffering and injustice. Hear this. In other words, 
Jesus suffered so that you won't have to suffer forever. Let me say that again. Jesus suffered so that you don't have to suffer forever. There will come a time where Jesus comes back. And when he does, we will be free forever of the brokenness and suffering of this world. A new age will begin, which is described so beautifully in Revelation 21. It will be a world where he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. What hope we have in Jesus. So take heart. Though it doesn't take away your present suffering, know that you don't have to suffer forever because we have an eternal hope in Jesus because he has given us victory in him so that suffering and injustice will not last forever. He has conquered it all. So to wrap up tonight, we've gone through some pretty tough questions, yeah? Why is there suffering and injustice in this world? Does God even care about our suffering and injustice? And how should we respond in the midst of our suffering? Well, I want to encourage you again, lament. Be real with God. Go deep with God. Go beyond the superficial. And look to Jesus who will give us an end to our suffering and injustice. I recognize that this might be pretty tough for some to hear. And so I want to encourage you, if there's something in your heart, something in your life that you're struggling with, that you just haven't been able to bring to God yet, tonight is your chance. And if you're here in the church, why don't you find you know, me, Ollie, one of your young adults leaders, and we'd love to pray for you. If you're watching this at home, why don't you give someone a call? Or if, if, talk to one of your family members and give it over to God. Because He cares for you. He knows you, he loves you, he listens to you, and he's there for you. Let's look once, one more time at Habakkuk. See, Habakkuk honestly poured out his heart to God, crying out to God for help and intervention. And it wasn't just for no reason. You'll find out next week from verses 5 onwards that God responds God honors those who come to him. So come to him tonight if you need. And I know that there are things in my life that I struggle to talk to with God. I, I struggle with complaining to God all the time as well. And, and so this is, this is me preaching to myself, but I hope we can be a young adults community that are real and deep with God. Will you pray with me as I close? Father God, I just want to thank you for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that we have this blessing to call you our Father. Thank you, Lord, that no matter what is going on in the world around us, that you don't change and that we can trust in you 
knowing that you are sovereign, that you are in control, that you are good. Lord, help us, help me and help my brothers and sisters to be honest with you. Lord, for the, for the times in which I've withheld and I've been superficial where I've just put on a brave face, Lord, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Lord, help me to be honest with you, be real with you. Help me to, to come to you whenever I need, Lord, knowing that you are there, that you care, and that you hear. Help my brothers and sisters and help bring them closer to yourself. Help us trust in you even when life makes no sense. Like Habakkuk, where we look into the world and we look into our situation, we don't know what's going on or where you are. Lord, help us and remind us of you, that you are our God, you are our Father, we can trust in you. We commit these things in your Son's name. Amen.